Thanks for joining us on Fresh Faith. We're excited to bring you a special season of the podcast. Ron and former Pittsburgh Steeler Tunch Ogan have worked alongside one another for years. You may remember Tunch on some previous episodes of the podcast. A while back, they teamed up to do a special series on the Journey Radio called Biblical Manhood. This series has been one of the most well-received series, and so we knew we just had to bring it to you on the podcast. On the podcast today, Ron and Tunj Oaken are going to talk about this through the lens of events, issues, and hidden issues in a real man's life. Welcome to a special edition of The Journey. With me for this series on men's issues is Tunch Ilkin, a 14-year veteran of the National Football League, 13 years, an all-pro tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, Tunch? No, wait a second. Not 13 all-pros. I wasn't all-pro for 13 years. You made it sound like it was an all-pro for 13 years. I thought you've always told me you were an all-pro <laughs> no, for 13 No, 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 no. I, never, <laughs> I, made, I played a couple Pro Bowls, made all-pro, but now I wasn't 13. Did you play in them or you just go? Yeah, I just went. I was hoping to just play volley. <laughs> now, that was when the Pro Bowl where you played because the money was big, relatively speaking. Today, they don't even play. So, you were an offensive tackle who that I was. took a trip to the Pro Bowl. Okay. <laughs> a couple times. That's a couple times. You know, the quarterbacks, they get all the press, and the running backs get all the press, and the receivers, they get all the glory. Right. Your name's only called right. when you get called for holding right. or uh, jumping off sides or right. something like that. Are our offensive linemen just a little bitter about that? No, but more shell-shocked. First of all, I want to know what genius came up with the idea of miking referees because now it's like holding number 62 that was my number and money your neighbor would say hey touch so i get caught for holding the other day got that touchdown call back lost the game tough break for you because when we have a mistake we're alone out there you can't hide and it's very very obvious who that is so uh bitter is not the right word but i think scarred by it so every offensive lineman has certainly a special identity right. out there well, we're involved in a series addressing men's issues with tunch Oaken, who is now a pastor of men's ministries at the bible chapel in pittsburgh pennsylvania and today tunch we want to talk about i think a critical topic a man and his identity And again, we know there are a lot of women listening, and we encourage the women to listen because you need to know who your husband is. You need to be a student of your husband, and you need to know the things your husband struggles with and encourage your husband to listen to these broadcasts as well. Now, one of the stories about identity you have is a great story about a kid who asked you for an autograph after you retired. Tell that story. It was actually just two years, I believe, after I retired. I was signing autographs at the home show in Pittsburgh, and it was one of those crazy days where I really believe that the Lord was really teaching me humility and also trying to teach me what my identity really was. And it started earlier in the afternoon. I was signing autographs, and there was a sign above where I was sitting that said, Tunch Elkin Autographs, 6 to 8. Now, I'd already been in TV and radio. I'd been doing TV and radio for two years. And you were already in the president of the Cool Guys. Well, Christian you, cool yeah, guys uh, yeah, listen, the, the, the one that you are a charter member. Uh, <laughs> no, but I was doing broadcasting, which means I had absolutely no other marketable skills. And so I'm signing autographs, and a guy comes up, and whenever you sign autographs at something like that, people come by, and you'll have a line there, and then there'll be nobody there. And I was sitting there by myself, and a guy comes up, and he looks up at the sign above my head, and looks down at me, and he looks up at the sign, and he looks down at me, and he said, that you? And I said, uh, yeah, that is me. He goes, you're signing autographs. And I said, yes, I am. He goes, why? And I said, because they asked me to. So he said, should I know who you are? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, what did you do? And I said, well, I, I used to play 
offensive tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. As soon as I said that, he looks at me and goes, well, you look too small to play offensive tackle. And like I was lying to him. And I said, well, you're not the first person that told me that because I'm not only am I small, but I'm slow. So I had that going for me. And then he looked at me and goes, oh, I know you. You're that guy that's on television with the guy with the funny voice. And so I'm like going, oh. You know, so that just totally crushed me. Had no idea that I had a 14-year career. And so I'm leaving, and this young girl, she had to be maybe 11 or 12. She comes running up to me, and she said, sir, 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 can I please have your autograph? Can I please have your autograph? And so now I'm, I'm making a comeback from my self-esteem that just got bludgeoned. And she said, did you used to play for the Steelers? And I said, yes, I did, honey. She said, who did you used to be? And I just remember thinking, who did I used to be? I said, well, I used to be Tunsilken, but I ain't him no more. I came home and I told my wife, Sharon, I go, honey, I said, I think the Lord is really teaching me about who my identity is. And it dawned on me, and it was at that point that I said, wow, even if they did know who I was, even if they thought that I was any good as a football player, if that's all that people can say about me at the end of my life, then, man, I have not done a very good job of living my life. And we all know. The challenge with men and women is to find our identity in things that really don't matter at all. I got a little rap song here. I know you like rap. You know, I love rap, and I'm glad that you're rapping today because, you know, I would pay to see this. (laughs) Well, well, you don't even have to pay. Will you do the... I'll do the beatbox. Okay, yeah, okay. I can't do that. (laughs) I got a mouthful of coffee. (laughs) Yeah, don't do it with a mouthful of coffee. So I would have never heard of this guy, but my kids put me on to this guy named Lecrae. Great artist, and just listen to this rap. Name of this is Identity. Right. Hair, check. Shoes, check. A brand new fit, looking cool, check. I'm looking in the mirror like, ooh, yes, to cover a very insecure dude, check. But she won't feel me, and they won't like me if it ain't NJs or them brand new Nikes. Let's dig deeper inside my psyche. When it's all said and done, even I don't like me. He live in the gym and his hair stay faded, late model car, so they think he made it. He's Christian, he gave his life, but he still ain't satisfied in his Savior Christ. Still finds his identity in looks and cars, if only he knew that he ain't have to look so hard. If he looked in God, it may seem odd, but he'd be so satisfied he can leave it all. And then here's a course. I'm not the shoes I wear. I'm not the clothes I buy. I'm not the house I live in. I'm not the car I drive. I'm not the job I work. You can't define my worth by nothing on God's green earth. My identity is found in Christ, is found in Christ. Mm. You know, that's pretty good. That's profound. I butchered the song a little bit, but that chorus is good. I'm not the shoes I wear. I'm not the clothes I buy. I'm not the house I live in. I'm not the car I drive. I'm not the job I work. You can't define my worth. And Tunch, you interact with men all the time. Where are guys looking for their identity? That's a great question, Ron. And when you said, I'm not the shoes I wear, I was thinking about your cowboy boots and, uh, <laughs> and how I was... Well, now, that is a good, that is a good idea. I was going to bring, bring my cowboy boots back because I saw you. And, um, you know, I think with guys, it's what they do. The first question that men ask one another is, what do you do for a living? Let's just take the environment that I grew into manhood in, and that's the National Football League. One of the things that's been very, very obvious is the tragic lives that so many former professional athletes 
have when they leave the game. There was a, an alarming statistic, something like 75, 78% of former NFL players are either bankrupt, addicted, or divorced within five years of retiring from football. And I got a buddy, Kenny Rutgers, who has a ministry called gamesover.org. And his desire is to help men transition from sports to the real world. And it's not so much that they need help to find a job. It's the identity that they have. Because when you do something that your identity is rolled up in, well, what happens when you're not that person anymore? And so there's a real feeling, there's a real depression that guys have gone through. And I've seen it and kind of a spinning of one's wheels trying to find where they belong in their next phase of life because of the way the economy has been and you hear downsizing, downsizing. We've been hearing that for the last 15 years. And when guys get downsized, that means somebody's losing their job. And so you see men go through this real depression as they are no longer whatever it is that they were. And so when your identity is tied up in what you do for a living, and we talked last time about identity and keeping score, and men do keep score that way. And so I've seen a lot of men have their identity either in their job, in the house that they live in, the cars that they drive, the club they belong to, the people that they hang out with. And when that's your identity, you're bound to what goes on, good and bad, in that environment. And it can be a real, real struggle for men trying to keep up with whatever they're portraying of their identity. It can be just an unbelievable uphill battle. We joke around, Tunch and I, between ourselves about a thing that we have called the Cool Christian Guy right. Club. Yeah, because uh, Rod's a cool Christian Because guy. he knows every, <laughs> every city has their own group of yeah. cool Christian guys. But it made me think, when you do talk to some guys, they can't go two or three sentences without telling you who they were just with or right. who they played golf yeah. with or who they were at dinner with last right. night. There's this thing that our identity is not only what we do, but right. who we're with and the whole package right. of life. Yeah. So... When a guy loses his job, he didn't lose a job. He lost his identity. Right. He lost who he was as a person. And then all the things that go with that that build up his identity. Right. Now, we talk a lot about events, issues, and hidden issues. Event is just something that happened. You lose your job. The issue is, how are you going to support your family? But the hidden issue is, if that's where my identity was, I lost a part of my masculinity. And so a lot of guys have their identity in masculinity. I've heard you talk about the religion of masculinity. Break that down a little bit for us. What's that mean, the religion of masculinity? You know, it's something that I saw in my dad and my uncles, that there is this be a man and men don't cry and men are tough and men don't need anybody. You know, the Lone Ranger or John Wayne. I mean, our generation, we grew up watching cowboy movies. And so that culture is this loner, if you will. And he's a tough guy, and he will not be put upon. The movie The Shootist, remember, he's talking to Ron Howard, John Wayne, and he said, I will not be put upon. I will not be touched. And he goes through this litany of things he will not allow to happen to him. And so we get in this environment or in our culture or in social settings where you can see there is this competition and this masculinity 
whether it's chewing tobacco or whether it's drinking or whether it's womanizing. For years and years and years, that was a big definer of masculinity. And so all these things that men keep score by is things that they point to as what kind of defines this manhood that they're living in. You know, I think that's so insightful and profound because it breaks it down to, again, the hidden issue. Right. You go on a men's right. retreat and there's a pecking order that kind of comes up as you do different competitive stuff because right. it's fun to compete. Right. And guys really get into the masculinity part. Mm -hmm. Now, again, a lot of that's natural right. and fine until it becomes the religion right. of masculinity. And that's what you're trusting in. And you really feel like if you're anyone, you have to be this real guy. Again, characterized by the things you talked about. How many women have I been with? Right. When's the last time I got drunk? Or I got to have a drink in my hand to prove my worth. The religion of masculinity, I think it's a challenge for many, many men. And you know what it comes from? It comes from fear. It comes from inadequacy. I mean, when I was wildest, when I was most focused on this masculinity, it really bore out of this feeling of inadequacy, this feeling, do I have what it takes? This fear of being exposed that as an immigrant, one of my good buddies, Leo Wisniewski, always says that I had the immigrant chip on my shoulder, that I was driven to show that I belong and driven to show that I had worth, that I had what it takes. And, you know, I look back upon that time in my life and I'd say that's right on. I mean, it was this fear that people would see me for who I really was. So that really was my identity. And I see it in guys all the time when men will be acting a certain way I'm not saying I'm an expert in this or I'm some insightful guy, but usually I can tell when I meet a man, there's a woundedness or something from the past that's driving him to identify with this masculinity. And problem is that from the time that I swing a bat or I throw a ball or I get in a fight or something, you know, you're going to get attaboys. In that. And so the more attaboys you get, the more you funnel in that area because I wasn't a great student and... Sports was what I had, and so I drove myself into sports to cover up for my own fears and my own inadequacies, and that's where I got the attaboys, even in anger. I remember that being the angry one, the tough guy, there was attaboys in that, and so it fueled more of that. It's this terrible trap that I can fall into until I really find out who, where my identity really is. So the irony of that is... There's this fear in man of being exposed, right. and yet until we get to a place where we are exposed, we really can't grow and be the man that God right. wants us to be. So you talk a lot in men's groups about the church or the men's group being the third place right. and being that place where you can come and be a real man right. in that third place, but it's a healthy third place. Right. So talk about a men's group or a group within the church being that third place. You know, I didn't come up with that. Actually, Kenny Rutgers, who I played with in Green Bay, and we only were together one year, but we became very, very close. And Rut used to say every man needs a third place. And what that means is, that, you know, everybody's got their home. That's their first place. They've got work. That's their second place. So what's your third place? And so the third place could be anything. It could be the corner bar. It could be a culture club. I remember I used to say I used to hang out at the Croatian club in McKeesport, Pennsylvania, Sons of Italy in Glassport, and the Yugoslav club in Bethel Park. The culture club was a big part of it, or the country club, or the gym. 
any place that I am spending time and hanging out becomes my third place. Well, then the question becomes, well, why not the church? And we kind of touched on this last time is I wanted guys to feel comfortable in the church. Why is this not the hub of the community? Why not come here to socialize with other men and to challenge one another? And the importance of that is when I get together with other men and I realize, you know, I really don't have it together. And then I see a man whose identity is in Christ and not in his job or the house he lives in or the car he drives or in masculinity. I see a man for who he is, not perfect, but a man's man. And then I realize, well, wait a second. Look at that guy. His identity is in God, and he's a man by golly. And the more we spend time with one another and really encouraging and challenging one another, because we are built for relationships. God is a relational God. Jesus gave himself to the 12. He had his 12 disciples, and then he was even more intimate with his inner circles, three, and even more intimate with the uh, apostle John. And so we see that Jesus, in his humanity, had the need for relationships. So why wouldn't we, as men, need those relationships. We need to help and encourage one another. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So where can I go to get the kind of encouragement and help that I need? Guys that are willing to pray for. Well, the third place, the church. And then where can I go for the accountability? Because with that comes this, all right, we're going to challenge one another. It's not going to be just, hey, we're going to be here and be buddies. And we want to challenge each other to grow. And so Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so shall one man sharpen another. Men need to be challenged. Nobody wants to be lukewarm. So we want to be challenged. And so where can we be challenged by other men to really find our identities in Christ and live for him? Well, right here in our third place. So growing up in Oklahoma... Mickey Mantle is right. from Commerce, Oklahoma. Commerce Comet, great baseball player and really an idol growing up. Would always watch him on television. And I remember you telling the story. You saw, even being a professional athlete, yeah. you saw him one time and you were in awe of, I was. of Mickey Mantle. Yeah, my wife Sharon and I walked into his restaurant. It was a snowy day. We were arm in arm. And we walked in and I saw the Mick and I immediately dropped her arm. We hit a wet spot. She started backstroking trying to keep from falling down. And all I'm going, the Mick. And she wants me to grab her arm, and I'm not grabbing her arm because I'm just going, there's the Mick. <laughs> and so we sit down in the booth, and she goes, what were you doing? I go, sure, it's Mickey Mantle. <laughs> and, and I go, will you go get his autograph for me? And I, I turn right into a fan, and she goes, I'm not getting his autograph. Get his autograph. You're the one that's did, a Mickey did you Mantle. Go, did you no, go? I chickened out. I can't believe I chickened out. I, I, I had an opportunity to get the mixed autograph. And he actually had a stack of pictures in his booth while he was sitting there. So I know he was expecting people to come up. And I chickened out. That's a big regret of mine. You know, reading his story, I mean, he was a scoundrel. Talk about a guy who was a fearful person. But I read a book called The Last Boys. And it was about Mickey Mantle and Billy Martin and all these guys who played with the Yankees during that time. Great stories about baseball, so it was cool. And in the book, tells about Mantle coming to Christ later on, mm-hmm. at, really on his deathbed. Right. But, Tunch, it was like those guys were 13-year-old boys trapped in 20- or 30-year-old bodies. And there's a lot of guys like that. You know, run businesses, mm-hmm. CEOs, professionals. And it's like they're little boys trapped in a 30-year-old body or a 40 or 50 or 60-year-old body. And it's the fears that we've never faced. Mm -hmm. 
never really gone to take that responsibility of being a man. Again, the religion of masculinity, but not really learning how to be a man, according to Scripture. And then the accountability. So you've started something with your men's group called huddle groups. Right. And the purpose of those groups is the third place that you're right. talking about, but also to help guys finally face some of the things that they've been ignoring for many, many years. Talk about the huddle groups. Well, Ron, you know, discipleship groups and accountability groups are nothing new to the body of Christ, but Christian Leadership Concepts came up with this model 12, and obviously Jesus had 12, and so that's why the number 12. So we started doing these huddle groups. You know, I always say I know two things. I know Jesus and I know football, and that's all I know. And thankfully, the Lord has allowed me to combine football with sharing the gospel and sharing what biblical manhood really is. But what's really cool about these huddle groups is as you go through this two years together, year and a half to two years together is the program, you commit to the other 11 guys that you are going to show up once a week for an hour and a half to two hours, and you are going to do the work. And we've been going through this grounded discipleship series really to enter into a covenant relationship with 11 other guys that you're going to show up, you're going to memorize the scripture, and you're going to help and encourage one another, and you are going to challenge one another. And through this 18-month to two-year curriculum, you are going to go through the essentials of the Christian faith. You're going to know what it means to come to a saving knowledge of the gospel. You're going to know what it means to be a godly husband, a godly father, a friend, an accountability partner. And so what ends up happening within this period of time together, you get very, very close. And you really kind of lay your souls bare to the other 11 men. You covenant to be honest. And there is no question, when you enter into a covenant relationship with someone, when you enter into a huddle, there is no question that is off limits. Jesus says this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you would love one another. And so we're really loving one another, but we're also holding each other accountable and asking the tough questions. And so through this process, you either do one or two things. The light is so bright, you either run away or you embrace it and you follow harder after Christ. Not perfect doesn't mean we don't stumble. But what's really great is that we do become better men. And not because we're good guys, because we're not, but because we want to follow God and we want to follow Christ. So we learn what that looks like and how we can encourage and how we can challenge one another. So the outcome then becomes guys will lead other huddle groups. And it is the model for discipleship. And so we do life together, and so I'm challenged to be a better husband. I'm challenged. I'm asked, have I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman with lust in my heart? Am I taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ? Above all, am I guarding my heart for it is the wellspring of life? So all these temptations that dog us, and I know that every Friday morning, well, that was when ours were at 5.30 a.m., my guys were going to ask me those questions. What are you watching on television? Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you teaching your children? Are you walking in your integrity in the workplace? And so it's really had a very cool effect on guys because we can read what it means to be a godly man. But when we see it modeled, okay, so that's what it looks like. That's what I aspire for. So the responsibility that we need to take in being a man, the accountability that we need, in order to make sure that that responsibility is out front in our mind's eye and we're following what we need to do. Okay, so the religion of masculinity, that doesn't work. Leaves you empty. Leaves yeah. you empty. Yeah. 
We also know that there's this bully on the outside, child on the inside. We're a 13-year-old stuck in a man's body sometimes. The cultural lies of sexual satisfaction and get all you can get while you can get it, that doesn't work. So what does work? What is this thing in contrast to the religion of masculinity? How would you describe what biblical manhood is? You know, that's a great question, Ron. One of the greatest blessings of following God is there's freedom. When I come to this point where I understand that the only thing good and positive in me is that Christ lives in me. And anything that I desire to do that is worthwhile comes from my understanding of who he is and who I am. I've got this freedom that I, I'm done with the pretender. That's too much work, and it just doesn't get it for me. But when I'm following hard after God, and my heart is in tune with what God's heart is in tune with, in other words, living for him and loving my wife and teaching my children and mentoring other men and having a burden for the poor and to further his kingdom here on earth and to do it without compromising my manhood. So I'm not less of a man. One of the greatest quotes I ever heard was Roger Staubach. This was even before I was a Christian, but they were comparing him to Joe Namath. And I love Roger Staubach's quote. He said, I love sex just as much as Joe Namath. I just love it with one girl. And I thought, what a profound statement for marriage that there is fulfillment in becoming one flesh, husband and wife. And Roger Staubach, was, they portrayed him as the God squatter, Bible toter. But I remember I was so attracted to that even before I knew who Christ was. But you could see in his face that there was freedom and confidence in that. And so as a man, if you talk to most guys and you say, what's one of the most important things about you that you would want people to know? Most guys would say that I'm a stand-up guy. Well, being a stand-up guy for Christ is really the ultimate. To be unashamed of your love for him, be uncompromising in your following after him, and there is this sense, okay, this is really manhood. That other stuff that left me empty and made me feel like there's got to be more and keep chasing more, yet here's this true fulfillment because this is my identity in Christ, and there's a sense, wow, that is real manhood, and there's a contentment and a fulfillment in where I am because of that. Not because of me, but because of God. The religion of masculinity is exhausting. It is Because you're never, you're never, you're never going to catch. No, you never get there. What you're chasing. Yeah. But biblical manhood, when you do it God's way, when you follow his instructions, when you find what really brings peace, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's rest in that. There's peace in that. And that allows us to have the confidence we need to do everything that God is calling us to do. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's biblical man. You know what? I, I always say I gave my life to Jesus in February of 1982, and I can honestly say I've never looked back. That old life never held a real attraction since I left it. Mm -hmm. Since we started with this rap song by Lecrae, I'm not the shoes I wear, I'm not the clothes I buy, I'm not the house I live in, I'm not the car I drive, I'm not the job I work. You can't define my worth. My identity is found in Christ. That's the bedrock of biblical manhood. So as we wrap this up, what I'd like you to do, if you're at a place where you could just close your eyes, I want to talk through who you are. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, 
who you are in Christ. Now, obviously, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. You can just listen to what I'm saying here. But if you can, just close your eyes and think about this. Who am I in Jesus Christ? I am accepted. The Bible says I'm God's child. I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. I've been justified. I'm united with Christ. I'm one with him in spirit. I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I've been chosen by God and adopted as his child. I've been redeemed and forgiven of my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. I am accepted. That's identity. I am secure. I am free from condemnation. I am assured that God works for good in all the circumstances of my life. I am free from any condemnation brought against me, and I cannot be separated ever from the love of God. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I'm confident that God will complete the good work that he started. I'm a citizen of heaven. I am secure. So I'm accepted, I'm secure, and I'm significant because of Jesus. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I'm God's temple, Scripture says. I'm a minister of reconciliation for God. I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he made me to do. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do everything God has called me to do through Christ who strengthens me. Think about that. Our worth is not in what we have. Our worth is not in our job. Our worth is not in the religion of masculinity. But we are identified with Jesus Christ. We are accepted. We are secure. And we are significant. I want to thank you for joining us today on the journey. Join us next time when we talk about a man and his marriage. <laughs>